Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom, everyone. This is Ariel bin Lyman Hanavi. I am a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tenuva in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started with the study. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together once again and to praise you and to thank you and to give uh, uh, our uh, obedience to you, to give our attention to your words, to seek your face, to to um, press in, to receive instruction from the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come together because we know that it's a command. We know that it's also um, something that we as community members should be doing frequently, uh, you know, not forsaking the assembling together as we read in a familiar passage. Lord, we seek your assistance. We, we know that you are here with us, and we know that you have promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And so for that reason, Yeshua, we seek to honor you by the medium of Torah study. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts towards understanding greater truth so that we can hide your words in our heart. Uh, like the uh, scripture says, um, we hide your words in our hearts so that we won't sin against you. That's what the psalmist teaches us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sit before the students once again as a teacher. Um, I pray that you will open my mind to uh, recall the things that I've studied this week, um, help me to share points that are relevant for the students, and I pray that you'll give them a supernatural capacity to retain the things that you are teaching them and to make practical application. For indeed, Lord, what good is it to study Torah if we're not also going to do? Isn't that what Ezra taught us? We study in order to do, and then in order to teach. So we seek this opportunity to press in. And we thank you for each and every uh, student that's made it tonight. We pray that you'll be with those who aren't able to make it, but are listening to the commentary after the fact. Bless them as well. Be with them where they're at. Uh, protect them. Raise them up. Give them a voice to share the gospel with those around them. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory for all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Well, let's date stamp this recording. Uh, this is July 5th, 2016. And we're, we're actually on week 31. And I want to explain to everyone just briefly why we've been away for so long. Normally, we take a two-week break. We teach for 10 weeks. That's our semester, 
and then we take a break for two weeks, and then we start another 10-week semester. And um, we were supposed to start last week, but for whatever reason, technical difficulties prevented not only the Skype session from allowing the students to join, but it also prevented the recording from taking place. So to be honest with you, I actually <laughs> I actually taught this uh, uh, section last week, but no one was able to join and no one was able to hear it after the fact. So I tell you what, I decided I'd just teach it again. It's a short section. I might even just finish the whole thing tonight, so we'll see what happens. Let's open with some liturgy. For those of you who are able to join me tonight live, we do come... Um, we do join. Uh, we, we come together live each week, uh, Tuesday evenings from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you are listening to this after the fact, and you are not in the class live, I do invite you out. Uh, please come and join us. I'd love to have live students come and interact with me. Uh, it just makes the um, study all the more enjoyable to know that I've got someone on the other end listening live. And the um, uh, there's no fee to join. It's a free study. It's free from me, from my heart to your heart. And we're just going to let the, the Holy Spirit uh, take over the uh, session. So let's start with some liturgy. For those of you who are in the live class, you can see on your screen now that I've got Ezekiel uh, 36 pulled up. And this is our passage from the Tanakh. And I'm reading this because of its relevance for our um, understanding of the book of Galatians, at least the way I interpret the book of Galatians. Let's read this passage. I'll read the English, which is um, going to be English Standard Version, the ESV. And then I'll read the Hebrew as well. Uh, the English says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when you, I'm sorry, when through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Let's read the Hebrew as well. The Hebrew reads, Lachain emor levet Yisrael kol amar Adonai Hashem lo lemaanchem ani ose beit Yisrael וכיבדתי אתכם מכל הארצות, והבאתי אתכם אל אדמתכם. וזרחתי עליכם מים טהורים וטוחרתם מכל תמותיכם, ומכל גלוליכם אטהר אתכם. ונתתי לכם לב חדש ורוח חדשה, 
etein bekirbechem vaha siroti et lev ha even mib sarachem venatatilachem lev besar ve et ruchi etein bekirbechem vaasiti et asher bechukai telechu mishpat umishpatai tishmuru vaasitem the shav vishavtem baaretz asher natati labotehem vechitem li laam vanuhi echet lachem leelohim okay and that's going to be our hebrew for tonight that'll be our liturgy taken from the tanakh let me pause for a moment and make sure the students are still in the room with me uh, just, let me just jump over to skype and um for those students who are in the class with me, go ahead and just send me a chat real quick. Type something over on the right side. I want to make sure that you can hear me and make sure that Skype didn't drop out or anything. And my students say, yeah, got everything. Okay, looks like everything's good so far. Sounds good. All right, we'll just keep plugging along. And if there's any adjustments we didn't need to make, we'll make them. Okay, let's jump over to some, to some Greek. This verse, or this a selection of passages, was lifted from the book of Galatians. There are five locations where this phrase, under the law, shows up in the book of Galatians, using the ESV as our reference for the English phrase, under the law. And we're going to be studying this phrase tonight, under the law. The, the Greek equivalent is hupanamon. And I pulled out these five verses just so that we can see them and kind of start getting familiar with them and begin to look at them in our study tonight. Let me read the English of those verses, then I'll go back and just read the uh, Greek. Actually, you know what, I, since the verses are taken from different chapters, I'll go ahead and read the uh, English, and then I'll read the Greek right afterwards. So the first verse is Galatians 3.23, and hopefully these verses are familiar to you as Bible students. Um, they're very familiar to me as a Torah student. And um, I have found that lots of... Um, Lots of discussion, heated discussions sometimes, takes place around the difference in interpretation between the traditional Christian camps and the traditional Messianic camps, those who embrace a Hebraic lifestyle and those who do not embrace a Hebraic lifestyle. And these verses kind of get caught up in the middle, and that's why we're going to talk about them. So, Galatians 3.23 reads, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would reveal, would be revealed. And if you're in the class with me, you'll see that I've got under the law highlighted in red. In the Greek, I should have highlighted it as well, but the Greek of the same verse reads, Pro tu de elfain tain piston, hupa naman, efrurumetha, sun kleamenoi, ace tain melusun piston, apocalyphthenai. And let's read the next verse. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And the Greek of verse 4 and 5 reads, Hate de elthen to pleroma tu kranu exapestelen Okay, 
Quiopthasion Apalabomen. And let's keep reading. Galatians 4.21 Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? The Greek says, Legete moichoi hupanaman thelantes enetan naman uk akwete. And the final verse is Galatians 5.18, which reads, and this is an extremely familiar one, one that's almost brought up uh, instantly when I uh, start teaching that uh, I think we should still be keeping the law of Moses. This is one of the first verses that gets um, quoted by Christians. It reads, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Greek reads, Ede pneumati ageste uk este hapanuman. Okay, so we've got these five verses, and it would appear, at least based on the last verse, that Christians are not bound to the law of Moses, for indeed, that's how the verse is normally interpreted. But if you're, but if you're led by the Spirit, which of course, if you're a Christian, you are led by the Spirit, we know this is true. And then Paul goes on to say you're not under the law. So let's talk about this. Um, these passages. Let me... Um, show you where we're at in the Galatians commentary as a whole, just uh, briefly, so that we can uh, keep our place. I know it's it's easy sometimes for a study of this size to, easy to get lost uh, in the forest. So let's just make sure we are we know where we're at. For those of you who are in the live class, I've got my um, TateSaitora.com website pulled up, parked on the Exegeting Galatians page. And as I scroll down to the page we uh, encounter the table of contents. And you can see from the screen that um, we've been going for 31 weeks, real, really a little longer because of the two-week breaks between each semester. But uh, generally speaking, we went through a preface section where we answered 10 common questions regarding Torah observance for Gentile Christians, a highly recommended section, I believe, uh, especially for those of you who don't really have the time to go through the entire Galatian study. This is kind of a the preface section is kind of a mini-study all in and of itself, so if you just kind of want to get an overview of Galatians, uh, that's a good, great place to start. Then we uh, looked at the introduction to the study of Galatians, and then we started going through these topical sections, which are kind of like chapters, and they are basically um, excurses into some of the hot topics that you're going to find in the book of Galatians. And so we studied Brit Milah, which is the Hebrew phrase for uh, uh, covenant of circumcision. And then we went on to talk about the ouch factor <laughs> part of circumcision, why the male reproductive organ. And then we started moving into one of the difficult phrases popular, popularly used within Christian circles to teach that we're, we as believers no longer have a um, commitment to the law of Moses, and that is works of the law. And we looked at the proselyte conversion and the understanding of the background to that phrase, works of law. Then in topic section four, we moved on to works of law, part two, examining Galatians 2.16. Next, we moved into section five, covenantal nomism and justification. And then section six, lessons from Acts chapter 10. And now we're parked on section seven, under the law. And for those of you who are in the live class, you can see that um, it's going to quickly, um, we're, we're going to really run into the uh, Galatians commentary proper pretty soon after we uh, hit section 8, 9, and 10. So stay tuned for that. I think you're going to really enjoy the uh, uh, sections, the chapters where I just go somewhat verse by verse. All right, let's jump into tonight's study. 
This section is entitled, Number 7, Under the Law. Traditional Christianity would have us to believe that the phrase, under the law, the Greek is hopanamon, refers to mere obligation to keep the commandments, a kind of sort of shorthand uh, for, quote, under obligation to keep the whole law, end quote. Therefore, as I understand it, when Paul states in, for instance, Romans 6.14 or Romans 6.15, that we're, quote, not under the law but under grace, end quote, very familiar passage, what ends up happening is the average Bible reader hears Paul saying that in Messiah, we're not under obligation to keep the law of Moses since we are now, quote, under the grace of Christ, end quote. And so you can see right away, as we start examining this view of under the law, that there are two groups that I've got in view. And essentially, the traditional Christian church takes one view, which is that we're no longer obligated to keep the law of Moses. This would excuse us from Sabbath keeping, kosher keeping, festival keeping, seat seat wearing, uh, mezuzah posting, things like that. And yet we have another group of people uh, that are also believers that hold to um, embrace in the Hebraic lifestyle. These people are commonly referred to as Messianic Jewish or Messianic Gentile. So the Messianic communities or the Torah communities. We have these two groups that are kind of wrestling over the meanings of these phrases in Paul. Basically, when we say that Paul says that we're, we're under the grace of Christ, essentially the church interprets Paul's words as setting up a dichotomy of law versus grace, with grace being the obvious and preferred victor. This is what I say in my commentary. After all, if you heard the way that Paul's using the phrases under the law, you, you probably wouldn't want to be under the law, at least if you understand the context correctly. I go on to say, it is correctly assumed that Paul's use of the term law in the verse that we're singling out just for a moment, Romans 6, 14 and 15, Paul's use of this term uh, law is pejorative. That is, it's something that is negative. It's to be avoided by a true follower of Yeshua. And I think I might just pull up that verse here in a moment. But let me keep reading uh, to the end of this paragraph. Then we'll pull up Romans 6, 14 and 15 and, and just look at it briefly. Um, so, Paul seems to use this term negatively. What is more, even without fully knowing what the term means at first, we still have to agree with Paul's negative use of the term law here. For indeed, as we're going to see here, he is describing something that we should, we as believers, should indeed avoid at all costs. Right? Let me, maybe this is a good time to, to pause and look up the verse. So let's just, um, let's open up the verse. For those of you who are in the live class, I'm just going to pull up uh, Bible Hub's website because it's going to allow me to pull up any Greek and things like that real just right on the fly. So bear with me here. Those of you who aren't in the class, give me a moment. Or if you've got your Bible handy, turn to um, Romans uh, 6 and thumb over to verse 14 and 15. And we're just going to read that real quick. So as I scroll down... Um, Let's look at these two verses. ESV, Romans 6.14 For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15 What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Okay. Two very short verses of the book of Romans. Paul setting up this idea of explaining to believers the, the, the wonderful truth that we are not under the law, but that we are under grace. Right? 
And if you um, if you if you were to care to go back and look at the context of this passage, the context is, and I think this is uh, um, this is a, a a very carefully reasoned context. But the ESV uh, online version I'm using right now tells me that the heading chapter is a is a chapter about dead to sin and alive to God, right? At least the first 14 verses, and then starting in verse 15. They've got this heading that reads "slaves to righteousness," and so, from a contextual point of view, it seems like Paul wants to explain to us that we're no longer slaves; that we've, we're dead to sin, we're alive to God. And it's within this context that he starts talking about that we're no longer under the law. And if the phrase "under the law" gains its context from a passage about dead to sin and sin and its bondage and the, and the, the slavery that sin presented for us before we were in Messiah. Well then, quite honestly, the law here that's being spoken of, or the phrase under law, is definitely something we want to steer clear of. Wouldn't you agree? And so, let's turn back to my commentary. Uh, let's keep reading. We left off where we talked about, um, without knowing fully what the term means at first, we must agree with Paul's negative term, use of the term law in this, protect, in this particular passage. But, is he referring to mere commandment keeping? Is that what Paul's saying when he says we're no longer under the law, we're under grace? Is Paul saying, is Paul meaning we're not under, we're not, we're not obligated to keep the Torah? Is Torah keeping something a believer in Yeshua should avoid? Surely, I would add, legalistically following after Torah is something we should never engage in. Right? We're going to look at that in, in, uh, later on in this commentary. But is Paul even talking about a legalistic view of Torah observance in his use of under the law in Galatians? So, here's what I want you to do for me as students. I want you to stay with me for a moment. We're going to jump from Romans and go back over into Galatians. Remember those five verses that I read in my liturgy? We're not in Romans at this moment. We are in Galatians. And I understand uh, from reading the Bible and from studying it for several years that context demands that any given word or phrase must be given its proper surrounding consideration in order for it to have its proper meaning and application. I think that's the only way to fairly study and interpret the text, is to let context be king, let context rule. What that means is, if I find a phrase, a word or phrase, that means one thing in one passage, that may or may not necessarily mean the same thing in a different passage. I go on to say that Paul uses the phrase, under the law, a total of five times, in this letter to Galatia, and each use has its own contextual meaning. At least that's the way I've understood it. For instance, <clears throat> in uh, Galatians 4.21, let's just single that verse out for a split second. Um, let me pull it up again. Galatians 4.21, uh, which reads, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Right? Those who desire to be under the law. So, is Paul talking about those who desire to take on Torah obedience? Maybe. Maybe not. Let's find out. I think that those who, t who desire to be under the law must mean those Gentiles who desire to take on legally recognized Jewish social status via the man-made ceremony of conversion. And I think it must mean that in order for the verse to fit the overall context of Paul's rebuke in that particular chapter. And don't worry... When we get to the verse-by-verse -verse section a little later on, 
we're going to study these more in depth. But right now, this is just kind of a teaser, kind of to whet your appetite. So, it is true that those who are desiring to take on legal Jewish status in Paul's day would, in fact, have to take on Torah observance. But I think that's, I don't think that's the central point that Paul's trying to emphasize when he talks about those who desire to be under the law. Um, let's keep reading my commentary. I think when we, when we read under the law as meaning uh, under the desire to take on legally recognized Jewish status, in other words, this phrase under the law is within the context of the uh, proselyte conversion that was so prevalent in Paul's day. In other words, Jewish ethnicity was really the, the um, uh, it was the doorway, it was the gateway to salvation. It was the doorway to covenant membership in Paul's day. You had to take on legal Jewish status if you were, weren't already born Jewish. So essentially, your Jewish ethnicity got you into covenant membership, viz. gained salvation, and everything that followed after that, your maintenance of your covenant membership, your obedience to laws, your, your uh, submission to the Torah of Moshe, etc., that was all uh, secondary, subsequent to the initial act of be, either being born Jewish or becoming a Jew. So it's within this context, I say in my commentary, used in this way, um, we could really say that the phrase under the law and the phrase circumcision, they kind of function as synonyms because they they both seem to describe Jewish identity in Paul's writings. He uses them in different places in his in his writings in, in Romans and in Galatians. Uh, he uses them to kind of describe Jewish identity, either natural or achieved. Natural being those uh, persons who were born Jewish and achieved referring to those persons who weren't born Jewish but rather took on the proselyte ceremony to become a Jew. Make sense so far? So we can't simply assume that standard Christian commentaries on this phrase under the law are accurate if we are to be noble Bereans in this matter, especially since unfortunately most of those same commentaries unknowingly or unwittingly carry around a fair amount of anti-Jewish or anti-Torah bias. In other words, it's unfair to the Jewish lifestyle. It's unfair to the person who seeks to live as a good Jew should. It's unfair to simply have Paul saying that if we are led by the Spirit, we're no longer under the law, and to interpret the phrase under the law being no longer under obligation to keep the law of Moses. Essentially, what Paul would be saying is we're no longer to be <coughs> we're no longer to um, live as good Jews should live. So um, that's that's not really the best way to interpret that. Give me a moment here. <coughs> okay. So um, I don't think that's probably the best way to interpret the uh, the uh, commentary to the book of Galatians if we really want to dig a little bit deeper. Again, we're going to flesh this out a little bit more, so I don't need to uh, focus on it right now. I think um, I think that we 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 we're probably going to gain a better appreciation for for the application of Paul's phrases, his writings under the law and things like that. We're probably going to gain a better appreciation among both groups, the, the traditional Christian group and the uh, Messianic groups. We're going to gain a, a, a deeper understanding and a, um, a more accurate interpretation and application 
if we allow for the context of the first century socio-religious um, uh, settings to kind of uh, drive our understanding of the book of Galatians. Um, you would think, however, though, that as we study through the book of Galatians, that uh, if you're a Messianic Jew, you'd think that perhaps maybe you have a, a slight advantage, because you, you would think that uh, that should be the assumption, that you have that that the uh, that that view in mind, but it's not always the case. And in fact, as I keep reading my commentary, we're going to find that a well-known Messianic Jewish source also, unfortunately, falls into what I call the trap of applying the context of Romans' use of this phrase to the Book of Galatians. And what I mean by uh, Romans' use is, um, as we're going to see in Gal in Romans, uh, I think the context there, as we looked at earlier. The context of Romans' use of the phrase under the law, at least this limited verse that I'm talking, that I'm highlighting, Romans uh, 6, 14 and 15. Paul's use of, Rome, of under the law there doesn't seem to allow for the same use everywhere in the book of Galatians. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, let's, let's see this. Um, let's single out David Stern's commentary to Galatians. Those of you who are in the Messianic communities are probably extremely familiar with David Stern's complete Jewish Bible. I'm looking at it right now. I've got it in my hand. And it's. It, I want to say right up front, it is a highly recommended version. I highly recommend it, not because I'm a Messianic Jew, and that this version was written by a Messianic Jew. That's beside the point. The reason I highly recommend it is because David Stern actually takes a pro-Torah stance. He believes that the Torah is still relevant for us today. And so in his paraphrase, yes, it is a paraphrase for those of you who... Um, are a little shy of using paraphrases. It is a paraphrase, but David Stern does a better job at, at bringing Torah back into the picture when it comes to traditional Christianity and their wholesale rejection of essentially anything that smacks of Jewishness. Um, so David Stern brings that back to the uh, table for a good discussion. He follows it up with his, new, uh, with his Jewish New Testament commentary, which we're going to quote here in a bit. So, we have this commentary. Uh, let's look at this listing. David Stern writes, quote, Likewise, the term hupanamon, under the law, which appears five times in this letter, never means simply under the Torah in the sense of subjection to its provisions, living within its framework. Rather, with one easily explainable variation, this phrase is Shaul's shorthand for, quote, and this is David Stern's understanding, so listen up, Quote, living under the oppression caused by being enslaved to the social system or the mindset re that results in Torah's perverted into legalism. End quote. Now that's a lengthy quote. Uh, uh, footnote number 47 shows that I lifted this from the, uh, the, the Jewish New, uh, New Testament commentary that I just referenced a moment ago. So David Stern interprets this phrase under the law um, quite often in his commentary and in his Bible version as that long, drawn-out uh, uh, paraphrase that I just mentioned, uh, living under the oppression caused by being enslaved to the social system or the mindset that results when Torah is perverted into legalism. So what, what, I, what I found is that as valuable as a contribution that Stern makes to the, uh, uh, to the Messianic communities and to the Christian communities, I think he was working from an understanding of under the law that doesn't quite fit the context of the social setting of Paul's day. He's close. It's true that um, the, the, any, any view of Torah that turns it into some, twist, into some sort of ladder to get into heaven or a means by which to earn covenant membership, it's true that that's legalism. 
But that's not exactly the way that the Jewish people were wielding it, at least if we take our cue from the Talmuds and the Mishnah. So let's keep reading my commentary. <clears throat> Turn again to our example from Romans 6.14 and 15 above. Under the law, there, uh, used there, which we just read about, uh, indeed refers to being found to be, quote, under the condemnation of the Torah, condemnation caused by being enslaved to one's personal sin as opposed to being set free by Yeshua the Messiah, right? So I say it this way, to be under the law in these two verses from Romans is to be under the condemnation of the wrath of God. To be under the law is to be under the condemnation of the law. If I were to stretch out the phrase under the law. And you have to remember that this condemnation is reserved for those who have not surrendered their lives to God's saving power. So let's bring up Romans 6.14 one more time and look at the context. Paul says, starting in verse 12, Let not sin, therefore... Actually, let me start in verse 10 and read down just through a few verses. This is Romans 6, four, uh, starting in verse 10, and we're going we're gonna to capture the context of those two verses. This is Paul. For the death he died, speaking of Yeshua, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, speaking to believers, must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say in verse 12, Therefore, that is, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin, uh, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, who have, I'm sorry, who have been brought from death to life. <clears throat> and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And then he says, for, which is, is, is that preposition that links uh, the thought in verse 14 back to what we just previously read, for, sin will have no dominion over you since, another linking uh, term, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." And I think I can stop there because you should be starting. You should be able to start seeing the context. Paul is trying to explain to us, and I, I don't really need to belabor this point, but uh, some of us may not get it, and maybe we need a refresher. Paul is trying to explain to us that before we knew Yeshua, we were slaves to sin. Before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin, and therefore we sinned, and therefore. Sin reigned in our mortal bodies, and there was really little that we could do about it. We, our, our members were instruments of sin and unrighteousness, and because of that, God had no choice but to place us under judgment. We were slaves of sin, and therefore God, uh, God's righteous standard stood as a judgment, as an indictment against us, because we were sinning against God, and we had no choice but to sin against God. You understand? We are we we had a propensity to sin, and our nature was 
the old nature. But when Christ came into our life, when we took on the faith that God supplied for us and our eyes were opened and we accepted Yeshua into our hearts, we cried out, Abba, Father. The Spirit took up residence within us. At that point, God cleansed us of sins. He wiped the bill clean, right? He acquitted us in the court of righteousness. The gavel came down and he said, not guilty, based on your faith in Yeshua, based on his righteousness, based on his shed blood. And at that point in time, we were set free. We are no longer slaves. We, we underwent a status change, a legal status change within the courts of God. We went from being a slave to being set free. We went from being a sinner to being a saint. We joined the community of the righteous. And now we no longer have to live as slaves, Paul tells us. In verse 14, sin ha no longer has dominion over us, right? We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free by the power of, of the risen Yeshua. And so because of that, Paul can now say, we're no longer under the law. So what does he mean by under the law? He must mean by the context, we're no longer under slavery, and therefore we're no longer under condemnation. And that's why he can say that we're under grace. And he's going to flesh this out a little bit more if you were to read the rest of Romans 6, 7 and bringing to its kind of fullness in Romans 8 where he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Romans 8, 1 and 2. So this verse in uh, Romans six fourteen, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, is, should be understood to say, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under bondage to sin and therefore under the condemnation that comes from being a, a, a slave to sin. In, in fact, instead, we're under grace. And then he turns around and says, you know, as if to challenge the, the person who is now a freed man, the person who now can leave God's courtroom without the fear of condemnation, without the fear of the punishment that comes down on those who are um, hard-hearted sinners, the person can leave, we can leave the courtroom as the acquitted. We can leave the courtroom as the righteousness of God. But that doesn't give us a license to sin, right? We don't now suddenly step out of the courtroom and start saying to ourselves, gee, now that the punishment of the law has been lifted, I can sin freely because there's no punishment. So Paul moves into that that thought in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? In other words, what given the context of what we just learned that under law means, Paul's really saying, what are what then? Are we to sin because there is no penalty and therefore no condemnation? That's what under law means in this context. Right? That's what it must mean. He do, He can't simply mean under obligation to keep the Torah. That would be to introduce a context that doesn't warrant any context. Introduce a, a, a meaning. and It's really a pretext. So, I want to challenge us as Bible students to be careful to read the surrounding verses whenever we find uh, phrases that could be taken one way or the other. We, we must let context determine. So, having said all of that, let's turn back to my commentary. So we've got, again, turning to our example from Romans 6, 14 and 15 above. Under the law used there, we now see, indeed refers to being found to be under the condemnation of the Torah. 
condemnation that is caused by being enslaved to one's personal sin as opposed to being set free by Yeshua the Messiah. To be under the law in those two verses is to be under the condemnation of the wrath of God, condemnation that's reserved, we found out, for those who have not surrendered their lives to a saving power. And to be fair to context, Paul does in fact apply the condemnation, the slavery condemnation aspect and application of under the law from Romans 6, 14 and 15 specifically to say Galatians 5.18, right? We read this in our liturgy. Let's look at this one again as well. Um, from the KJV this time, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And um, let's see if we can pull the context of this one as well. And then I may, uh, I may end the commentary here and pick up the rest next week. So let's turn to uh, Galatians 5.18. Uh, for those of you who are online right now, I'm just going to pull up the uh, Bible Hub page again and let that be our translation. Uh, this is ESV once again. So, here's the context of Galatians 5.18. Let's start in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Notice again right away that the theme is being introduced of slavery again. Sounds very familiar to uh, Romans chapter 6. No? Yes. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Sounds, surprisingly, like Paul is talking about Jewish identity. That's because he is. He's using circumlocution. He's using circumcision there as kind of a metonym, a standing for Jewish identity, Jewish legal status. Remember, these are some of the um, Galatian... Gentiles that Paul is addressing at this particular time, and he's trying to warn them against being dragged into the unnecessary proselyte conversion process. He tells them that if, if they use that as their entryway, as their gateway to covenant membership or to salvation, he tells them in verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that is to say, accepts proselyte conversion for the sake of the covenant membership that it's supposedly offering. I testify to every man who accepts legal Jewish ethnic status. This would include um, born Jews as well as convert Jews. I, I tell you that you're obligated to keep the whole law. And, and the, I'm not going to stop and talk about the whole law right there, because that's for a different time. We're going to talk about that maybe in two more sections. But let's keep working our way told, towards verse 18. Verse 4, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. And the word law there uh, that I just read, you who would be justified by the law, must refer to primarily by their ethnicity. So we would say, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by your ethnicity. You have fallen away from grace. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Notice Paul is bringing in these themes of slavery and spirit again. This, this dichotomy that he's setting up of life in the spirit versus life in the flesh or life as a slave. And this is really what he was talking about in Romans 6. We just looked at it. Let's keep reading here. For through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Those two terms there, circumcision and uncircumcision, naturally mean Jewish identity and non-Jewish identity. In other words, for in Christ Jesus, 
either being a Jew or not being a Jew, that is, being a Gentile, counts for anything as, as um, regards being a, sal- being a saved person. But only faith working through love, that's what counts towards uh, demonstrating genuine saving faith. Uh, faith working through love. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? By the way, the phrase circumcision there again is that circumlocution. It's that metonym. It's metonymy for Jewish, uh, ethnic-driven Jewish membership. So Paul is basically saying, but brothers, if I still preach salvation based on Jewish ethnicity or covenant membership based on uh, Jewish ethnicity, why am I still being persecuted? Because it, obviously if he was still preaching that, then the the, uh, the the Judaizers or the influencers or the agitators, they wouldn't be upset with him, right? He wouldn't, they wouldn't persecute him because he would be on their side. The point Paul's trying to make is that he's, he's not teaching that anymore. He's teaching something else. He's not teaching a false gospel anymore. He's teaching the genuine gospel. And because the genuine gospel is in competition with the false gospel, uh, that is to say, faith in Yeshua is in competition with faith in your ethnicity, well, then that's why he's being persecuted. He goes on to say, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who, were unsettled, who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Ouch, hard words, hard, harsh words. Let's keep reading. For you were called to freedom. Oh, he returns to this theme of freedom again, right? Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Uh, Lutheria, I believe, is the Greek. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, isn't that interesting? That sounds surprisingly like what he just said in Galatians, in, uh, Romans 6, where he says, but if we're not under, but what shall we say? If we're not under law, we're, uh, shall we, oh gosh, I'm butchering. What did the verse say? Um, if we're not under law, uh, uh, shall we continue in sin if we're not under law? In other words, just because we're set free from the penalty of sin and the um, the condemnation of sin doesn't mean that we have a license to sin. Um, and that's what Paul's trying to say. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. right? Don't leave the courtroom as an acquitted person with the thoughts that, hey, now I can turn back to a life of crime and not be punished for it. Right. I mean, really, that's the that's every um, that's every criminal's dream is to live the life of crime, but yet escape the punishment. Right. Steal the goods, but not get caught for it. Don't do the time, do the crime, but not do the time. Well, Paul's trying to get us to understand that God has set us free in Messiah by his spirit, set us free from the from the condemnation, from the propensity to sin, from the condemnation pronounced against sinners. And therefore, we are to live our lives walking by the Spirit, he says in Romans 8. But that doesn't mean we have a license to sin. Instead, Paul says, but through love serve one another, which of course is the opposite of the opportunity of the flesh. Love and the flesh are going to be set at odds at one another. Flesh versus love, flesh versus spirit are are, uh, dichotomous concepts that Paul's going to talk about quite often in his letters. Verse 4. 15, but if you bite and devour one another, which of course, I'm sorry, I left, I left out a verse. Verse 14, for the whole law so filled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know that's a quote from the uh, Torah itself. But if you bite and devour one another, which of course is an example of 
an opportunity to the flesh. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then he starts talking about life in the spirit, which of course is the opposite of life in the flesh. As believers, we want to live our lives according to the spirit. What does Paul say? Verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It sounds very simple. It isn't. <laughs> it's really a lifelong duty to walk by the Spirit. But I promise you that you're not going to do it on your own. The Holy Spirit is going to be helping you. It's a partner effort. As we say in the fancy theological terms, it is a synergistic work of God. You and the Spirit working together to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. So Paul tells us, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That is the solution to mortifying the flesh, to crucifying the flesh, to not giving opportunity to the flesh so that we don't come under the, um, uh, the, uh, under the effects of sin. Now, you have to remind yourself, even though we're believers, we still sin. We still have the opportunity to sin. But it becomes our duty to say no to that. Walk by the Spirit. Say no to the flesh. Verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yes, it's a battle, but we can do it. And then, Paul says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, which is the, which is the path we want to take, you are not under the law. There we have it. Is Paul telling us in verse 13 now that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to keep the Torah? Well, that doesn't fit the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about this, this, this context of being set free, and we're no longer slaves to sin, and we are filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit is the way in which we are to walk, and God sets us free from, that, from, from, the, uh, from the way of the flesh. Um, we're not slaves to our ethnicity, whether Jewish, born Jews or um, converted Jews. All of this is, is the, the context of, of what he's talking about here, right? The slavery uh, that Paul talked about earlier in the first few verses, the first five, uh, six verses, the slavery that Paul's warning uh, these Galatians away from is the slavery of believing that your ethnicity and your subsequent Torah observance is what matters most when it comes to genuine and lasting covenant membership in God's family. That's the slavery that Paul's warning them away from. That's the, um, uh, uh, the, the yoke of slavery that refers to in verse 1. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What yoke of slavery? The first century notion that all Jews and only Jews share a place in the world to come. Yet the, the, the slavery of thinking that the Torah is for Jews only, the slavery of thinking that God is the God of the Jews only, the slavery of thinking that the Spirit is poured out to Jewish-only people groups. See my point? In other words, that's slavery. That's slavery. And that's what Paul wants us to get away from. That's why he says now in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under slavery. You're not under condemnation. You're not under the works of the flesh. You're not under your fleshly uh, propensities. You see my point? That's the context of under the law. So, that's what we're going to start looking at in my commentary uh, next week. We're going to turn to John McKee, and he's also a Messianic author, and see how he 
uh, links Galatians 5.18, which we just exegeted essentially, with Romans 6.14 and 15. And we see there that the two verses kind of go hand in hand. Galatians 5.18, and uh, which is, if you're, led, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law, and the uh, Romans 6.14 passage that we looked at earlier. And we're going to see that those two go together. But, and here's the challenge I want to leave off with, the challenge is, just because we are learning that under the law in these two passages seems to refer to under condemnation or under slavery or under the penalty, however you want to fill in the, the, the concepts there. It's, it's kind of a package deal. Slavery and condemnation kind of go hand in hand in the Bible. If you are a slave to sin, then condemnation is what awaits you. At the end of the day, at the judgment seat of God, if you have not been set free by Messiah, if you are not found with your name written in the book, then you are going to receive the judgment of God. And unfortunately, you will spend eternity away from God. That's what it means to be a slave to sin your entire life. That's what it means to not be set free in Messiah. That's what it means to not have the Spirit change you from the inside. You are a slave, whether you know it or not. I know some of you listening to my commentary, some of you listening to my commentary, and I'm... I'm, I'm I'm engaging in just a little bit of preaching here, so uh, bear with me. Some of you listening to my commentary are probably disagreeing with me and saying, Ariel, I'm not a slave to anyone. I'm not a believer in Jesus, but you know, I'm, I just happen to listen to your commentary and I disagree with you. I'm not a slave to anyone. I'm, 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 I'm controlling my own, I'm, what do we say? I'm a master of my own destiny, destiny, right? I'm controlling my own destiny. I'm, I'm making my choices in life. There's nobody pulling my strings. I beg to differ with you. And it's not me that you're going to have an issue with. It's God. Because the very words of God that we read about in, for instance, say the book of Romans, a good place to park, is that before you were set free in Messiah, all of us were slaves to sin. All of us were um, slaves to unrighteousness. Our members were being used. They were instruments for unrighteousness. We served ourselves. You don't serve God before you. Um, you don't serve God before you come to Messiah. You serve yourself. If 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 you're not serving some some other demonic entity, you're actually serving yourself. You've set your own self up as a god. And so the point I'm trying to emphasize is that until you come to faith in Messiah, you are under the condemnation spelled out and reserved in the law, spelled out in the law and reserved for unrepentant sinners. There is a portion of the law. There's a segment of God's law that functions to condemn sinners. And that is a good function. Wouldn't you agree? That's a right working function. We want God's law to punish sinners, and we want God's law to condemn those who are unrepentant towards God. We want God to do that because we must allow God to be a just God. If God doesn't punish sin... If God doesn't punish wickedness, if at the end of the day God doesn't condemn those who have um, willingly rejected him and his Messiah, if God doesn't do that, then God is an unjust God. And therefore, his love means nothing because his justice means nothing. We want court systems that punish criminals, right? If the criminals have no fear of the law, if there's no fear of the law, in the criminals, if there's no fear of being caught, and if there's no fear of being sentenced and then being put away, well then crime will run rampant. And so there must be a justice system that 
uses the law to catch criminals, to try them, to punish them, and to put them away, right? We as just citizens want criminals taken out of the way. We want them reformed, to be sure, but that's God's Holy Spirit. That's the way His Spirit works. So, um, with that, I think what I will do is... um, I'm going to actually... I'm going to actually open the room up for a little bit of Q&A right in the middle of the teaching section. We've got about five or ten minutes left before the end of the study. And um, I'm going to see if any of the students who are in the chat room have any questions uh, at this particular point. Um, You can remain anonymous, but what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to allow you to open up your microphone. So if you want to chat with me uh, during a live session... Uh, you don't have to reveal your name. In fact, I ask that you don't. Um, but go ahead and um, you can ask a question or make a comment. Uh, and if we can uh, deal with it in the last five minutes here, we'll go ahead and leave that in there and, and see how that works. So those of you who are students in the chat room, go ahead and open up your microphone and uh, see what you have to say. Okay. Uh, I believe that your microphone's open. So if you have any questions or comments, go ahead. Yes, I can hear you. You consider Paul's usage of Kupa Naman under law to perhaps take on a different thrust when considering Romans and Galatians. Um, Yes, generally speaking, I don't think that Paul is just using this phrase Kupa Naman as a generic way or a standard or general way of saying of teaching or inferring to believers, we are no longer obligated to the law of Moses. In other words, I don't find Galatians, uh, for instance, 5.18 saying, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer obligated to keep the law of Moses. At least not from a simplistic perspective. We could make a reasoned argument that in Paul's day, covenant membership hinged on first becoming a Jew and then taking on Torah obedience to vindicate your genuine covenant membership or to vindicate your your covenant membership. And in that limited way, we could have Paul saying, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, and we could have the phrase under the law, including, in a limited capacity, you're you're not obligated to keep the law of Moses. But we would have to, we would have to expand it by saying, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under obligation to keep the law of Moses as adjudicated for those who believe their covenant membership is gained by their Jewish ethnicity. But that's a long, meaty phrase. We don't have to really go there. We can instead um, allow Paul to uh, say by brief context, if you're, on, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under condemnation of law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the... the uh, penalties of the law that are reserved for unrepentant sinners, things like that. Uh, I, I need to be careful, because I, th- I think your question is extremely valid. I need to be careful. I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone, whether believer or non-believer, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I am not saying that as a believer that all of the penalties of sin have been erased. 
That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you're a believer in Jesus, that you can sin, 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 and there are no penalties for you, or there are no consequences. So perhaps if I were to carefully choose my words, what I'm trying to say is, Paul is saying we're not under the penalty of the law of, of sin. In other words, we're not under the penalties of the law. But we are still, as believers, under the consequences of willfully sinning. And that's the point I want to carefully make. If you're a believer and you willfully sin, there will be consequences. I'm not, I'm not God and I can't tell you exactly what the consequences will be. However, I do believe the Torah teaches that there will be consequences if we willfully sin. Therefore, Paul is going to warn us against sinning. He's going to warn us away from sin because we're filled with the Spirit, and that's not who we should be. He's going to warn us away from sinning because we're not under the penalty, and we're not under the condemnation. But we are still under the um, consequences. So I, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I hope that makes a bit more sense. Without, without conflating the issue, <laughs> a term I think you're fond of using, without conflating the issue, I, Paul's just trying to get his, his uh, readers, both Jew and Gentile alike, to understand that to be set free in Messiah means to be set free from the, uh, um, the propensity to sin. We have a new nature. We have a new, we're new creatures. We're new creations. What are we reading that famous passage? Um, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're a new cre creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things... Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I can't remember what the reference is for, uh, to that verse is. But um, it's a wonderful passage. All, all has become new. Why? Because we, ha we have a new nature within us. God now empowers us to walk in the Spirit. Yes, it's true we still sin, but it's because we have sin still housed up with inside us. There's a, there's, the old man is crucified, but there's still um, old passions and desires uh, left over uh, that cause us to do things that we shouldn't do. Read Romans chapter 7, and you'll see where Paul talks about this struggle. I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. You know, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God that his, that uh, uh, Yeshua will, that, that God will do this through Yeshua, the Messiah. So, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. What What are your thoughts on that? Anything you care to share with the uh, the rest of the students here? Uh, and this is being recorded, so if you choose not to get the get this recorded, I'd be more than happy to edit this out. But if if you care to share and uh, have it recorded, I'm fine with that as well. I think what you said about what Paul means by slavery is very uh, very useful. I think the aspect of being obligated under an authority who confers your ethnic status through the proselyte ritual is a strong concept that I think should be leveraged to explain a lot of Paul's uh, references to bondage and slavery. I think that, uh, I think you're right. Um, I would, I would like to see more of this idea of the first century notion of the um, ethnic-driven righteousness, the ethnic-driven uh, covenant membership. I would like to see more of that uh, expounded in your average Christian commentary, but unfortunately we don't see a lot of that. Instead, what we end up seeing is a lot of um, 
a lot of verbiage uh, trying to explain how that the, uh, how that as Christians we're no longer obligated to keep the law of Moses, and that a new era has dawned. Uh, the age of grace has replaced the age of law, or the dispensation of grace has replaced the dispensation of law. And I, you know, personally, I find that that goes a long way towards. Uh, separating the two groups, the, the Messianic Jews from their uh, uh, Gentile counterparts. After all, um, Jewish people who were born with a cultural um, a cultural appreciation uh, for the Torah, what we might call the ancestral religion of Judaism, people who were born in that lifestyle and, and raised in that lifestyle, like raised in that religious setting, if they come to a, a, a saving knowledge and faith in Yeshua as a Jewish person and then begin to sit under teachings that, that suppose that in Christ, Jewishness no longer matters, Torah observance no longer matters, etc., etc., then what it begins to do is, in my understanding, it begins to rob that Jewish person of a heritage that I believe that God wants them to have. And it, it runs counter to much of what Paul teaches elsewhere in his letters, that, um, that uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Also, where, where Paul um, seems to say, for instance, in uh, Romans 3.31, do we make void the law through faith? No, we establish the law. So I don't see how Paul would advocate for suppressing the law of Moses as a believer in Jesus, because from for Paul, I don't see the law of Moses presenting a problem for the believer in Jesus. It's the law isn't the problem that needs to be addressed in Paul's day. Rather, it's a misuse of covenant membership as expressed through the natural ethnicity that Judaism presents, that Judaism understands its, it, itself to have. So, it's not the law's fault that the Jewish people are misusing it per se. It's rather their eyes are darkened to truth, their eyes are 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 turned away from Yeshua, and all they can see is their own self identity. And therefore they offer that up to God in hopes that God will accept that as some form of um uh, uh eternal righteousness. And unfortunately that's where Paul uh, unfortunately for them, that's where Paul is going to uh, as you say, leverage a lot of his um, theological, uh, I don't want to say it's tirade, but he, he's going to get quite pointed to, and, he, and he's, he's going to cut the line fairly deep. He, he's not going to leave any room. He, he, in Paul's letter, he's not, he doesn't really give the Judaizers, that, that Christians call, what I call the uh, influencers, he doesn't really give them any leg to stand on. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, relent to them in any way. He doesn't yield to them. He doesn't budge on this. It, you can't have it both ways. You can't have faith in your ethnicity leads to salvation and faith in Yeshua leads to salvation. They're two opposing views. And so Paul has to draw the line in the sand and tell them essentially it's one or the other. You're going to have to place your faith in one of these objects but not both. You can't have it both ways. The object of your faith has to be in one or the other. And Paul's going to explain to them that only one of them is the genuine object of faith, and that's, of course, Yeshua. The other object of faith is a false gospel, 
and it will lead to bondage, condemnation, and continued um, slavery to sin and slavery to the flesh. So that's that's the way I interpret uh, much of Paul's writings. <laughs> I hope that's hope that's a helpful answer. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you are you um did you did you when we were when we were looking through the book of Galatians and we're we're stopped right here in the middle we kind of gave ourselves a cliffhanger are you or did you have any other uh viewpoints on say Galatians 5:18 that maybe we could tease our uh our students with for next week or was there maybe a viewpoint that you've heard of uh you know, again, I, I read the, the the whole chapter, starting in verse one all the way up to eighteen. If I were to have continued instead of stopping at eighteen, uh, Galatians five nineteen says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things alike." I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he turns around and describes the the opposite, the opposite lifestyle, but the fruit of the spirit. And these are, of course, the opposite of of the fruit of the flesh or the works of the flesh. Fruit of the spirit. And these are, this is a passage that many of us have, have um, memorized: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I take the phrase in um, verse 24, uh, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh to be kind of synonymous. Those who belong to Christ are no longer under the law. In the sense that those who belong to Christ Jesus are no longer under the slavery to their flesh. They are no longer slaves. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. That's why we're no longer slaves, because the flesh has been made dead in Messiah with his passions and desires. And then he concludes the chapter by saying, if we live by the Spirit, which of course is the, is the opposite. It's the opposite of living according to the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, if, if we were brought to life by the Spirit, which is what, uh, what he means by live by the Spirit, let us keep in step, meaning let's live our lives. In other words, we, from a spiritual perspective, from a um, from a um, uh, forensic perspective, we live by the Spirit. That's the first clause, and therefore the second clause. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The stoicheia, I think he says in the Greek for the keep in step. The keep in step by the Spirit is a description of the orthopraxy. It's a description of the. Um, the practical. So we have the forensic slash justification, the legal aspect being described in the first clause. And therefore, Paul says, let us also keep in step, meaning that's the practical, the behavioral righteousness, the, the, the justification, I'm sorry, not justification, but the uh, sanctification, um, the, the, not the orthodoxy, but the orthopraxy. That's the second half. And the two work together. The two work together. The two sides of one coin called justification, Right? Um, we live by the Spirit, therefore let us keep in step by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, Paul's really just kind of trying to, to tell us, keeping Torah, if I were to expand this section, keeping Torah as a believer doesn't confuse the grace of God. It doesn't compete 
with the grace of God and the mercy of God. Keeping a step with the Spirit means following after the Torah. It means keeping the righteous requirement that the Torah enjoins upon us as covenant members. And it also means, of course, loving one another, loving God, loving our neighbor as ourselves. What are those two greatest commandments that Yeshua mentioned? So if we live by the Spirit, because that is to say if we have been brought to life by the Spirit, in other words, if we are saved, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I could translate verse 25 as this. If we're saved, let us keep the Torah. That's essentially what Paul's saying. If we live by the Spirit, translation, if we're saved, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, translation, let's keep the Torah. In other words, let's do what God asks us to do. What does Yeshua say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And what does First John tell uh, First John 5 tell us? Uh, his, bur his commandments are not burdensome. Um, we keep his commandments because it's a demonstration of our love for him. It's how we demonstrate that we are his children. Uh, we keep his commandments. So... That's really all that I wanted to um, highlight tonight. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, if not, um, I'll go ahead and uh, uh, dismiss everyone. Yes. The part in Galatians about walking by the Spirit, I think a very close parallel is in Romans 8. Consider, really, it could be Romans 8, verse 5 through... 16 and 17, but in particular, <clears throat> maybe I'll just... If you read. can read them, that's, that's fine. We've got time. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll read. The, the whole section is quite relevant, um, but I'll, I'll just read verse 12 through uh, 18 or so. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And so we can notice Paul's reference to adoption, that is, the sons of God. Mm -hmm. What he mentioned here that he does in Galatians is Abraham. Yeah. Not excluding Abraham. He just mentioned him earlier in chapter 4, and he's not the exact same argument he's making in Galatians, but he's making one extremely close, nearly identical with just a few changes in terminology. Yes. So we, see, we see the concept of bondage. We see the concept of walking in the Spirit. We see um, a mind of the flesh. And ultimately the goal is to persuade his audience that they, too whether Jew or Greek, that is especially whether you are a Greek, can be a full-fledged, bona fide covenant member in Israel. And that is a matter of the heart alone. Excellent. Excellent. You, you, you stated it very well. I couldn't have said it better. Um, Paul's, uh, Paul's commentary or Paul's 
uh, theology of the of Romans eight uh, very very closely matches what we just read about in Galatians chapter five. The, the, the two passages are uh, complementary to one another, and like, like you said, nearly identical, except that he brings up Abraham. Uh, but the same themes are abound in both passages. And isn't it a wonderful truth to know that Paul's really trying to explain to, like you said, the Greek readers, which we would translate as non-Jews, because that was kind of a metonym, uh, a kind of a, a, in, in Paul's writings often when Paul says Greeks, he's referring to non-Jews, even though there were Greek-speaking Jews. But oftentimes he'll say there's neither Jew nor Greek, meaning there's neither Jew nor non-Jew. So what Paul's trying to get them to understand, his Greek audience, is that they have, like you said, full-fledged, bona fide membership in Israel, and therefore, to use the language of Ephesians chapter 2, they have been brought near to the commonwealth of Israel. They've been brought near to the covenants of promises. They've been brought near to the people of God. And therefore, because in Messiah they are now uh, inheritors of the promises of God, or as Paul would say in that same chapter of Ephesians, they are fellow heirs right, with the uh, people of God. And all of this is done through their faith in Yeshua, done through the work of the cross. It's not done through the rubrics of a man-made ceremony known as the proselyte conversion package. It's not done by being born into a Jewish family. And it's certainly not done by ostensibly um, keeping any sort of man-made rules, uh, legalistically following any type of uh, you know Torah or oral tradition or any halakha that a group would impose upon another individual. None of that leads to being found as a genuine son of Abraham, the phrase that's very popular in Paul. The sons of Abraham are reserved for, the genuine sons of Abraham are reserved for those who have uh, surrendered, like Abraham did, to the saving power of God's word. <laughs> So, wow, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Very good. Well, I think what I'll do um, is I'll go ahead and dismiss everyone. And uh, you and I can stay, stick around and chat for a few more minutes if you have anything else to add. I'll leave the chat room open for just another few minutes. But let me give a general dismissal for the rest of the students. If you don't mind, go ahead and mute, mute your microphone. Uh, and that way I don't, I don't get that strange little uh, Skype feedback. Um, I want to thank everyone for joining me tonight um, for our Exiting Galatians commentary. Please uh, make it a point to set your schedule to meet with us Tuesday evenings, uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'm also entertaining the idea of possibly switching the night, uh, perhaps maybe to a weekend. Uh, watch your emails, and I'll probably send out uh, some sort of survey that you can click on and choose a night that, that might be best. And I'm going to send this out uh, exclusively to the enrolled Galatian students. And that way I'm, I'm, I'm catering to them first and foremost. Because I'd like to be able to, to um, make the opportunity available for as many people as possible to join the study. It would, be, it would really be nice to have uh, more students join us live. Let's dismiss in prayer, and uh, we'll meet next week and pick up, again, our study on Under the Law. We'll probably finish it since we only have about, I think, one and a half or two pages left in the commentary. Let's close in prayer. Abba, we bless your name, and we thank you that 
by your son Yeshua, we have been brought into right relationship with you. We have been bought and brought into genuine covenant membership with you. And Father, we know that it's not by our own works. It's not of things that we have done or can do. It's not by our ethnicity. It's not by our. It's not by the works of the law. It's not by um, our own right standing. It's not by our own good works. But Lord, it is by your great mercy and by your your um, unfailing love for us that you have reached out to us and that you have opened our eyes so that we can lay hold of Messiah, so that we can uh, call upon his name and that believe in our heart and that you will save us. Thank you, Father, for bringing us into right relationship with you. Thank you for bridging the gap that we could not bridge. Thank you that um, the cross is the way of salvation. Bless you, Father, for filling us with your spirit. Thank you that by your rule, Kodesh, we enjoy the fellowship not only with you, but with one another. For indeed, the spirit helps us to be knit one to another, uh, Jew and Gentile alike, both um, declaring that Jesus is Lord and both of us walking down the same path of righteousness, which is spelled out for us in the Torah. Thank you, Father, for your words of life. Bless you for preserving the words of Paul in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans. And we ask that you will continue to press us ever closer into a right relationship with you so that we can be witnesses for you, so that we can be ambassadors, so that we can be salt, so that we can be light and be um, a, 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 a strong um, uh, um, uh, pillar within the community so that we can um, uh, strengthen one another, Lord, so that we won't be weak. Thank you for all of these wonderful truths. We'll be careful to give you the praise. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>